500 years of oppression, and somehow I find this the most irritating. Welcome to the Angry Indian Girl Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Sophia Syntax. You may remember me from such productions as the Breaking Borders Fairy Fashion Show and the Detroit Animation Festival. We are recording on Wednesday, April 21st, 2020. I'm still in shock and awe that George Floyd's murderer was convicted. Hallelujah! Just for today, y'all, I'm basking in this victory of, like, the system working the way it is supposed to. Shout out to the black woman who kept filming the murder despite being threatened by the cops to stop. Without her brave actions, George Floyd's killer would not have been brought to justice because the killer cop's co-workers certainly did not turn him in. Today, we celebrate. But we still got a lot of work to do. And by me, I mean news. White people. Specifically, <laughs> black and indigenous people done been showing up. And if you're white and you've been doing the work, I see you and I thank you, but we can't stop. This is only the beginning. Yeah. For something a little more lighthearted, but still surprisingly controversial. Y'all, I was not prepared for the reactions I got when I told folks what episode four of the Anger Podcast was going to be about. Today, we're going to be unpacking a topic that I never thought we'd tackle on this show, veganism. Mm. Specifically, we're going to be answering the question, is veganism colonialism? Full disclosure, fam, I am not a vegan. I do have many friends who are vegan, though. Shout out to my friend Zai, a loyal member of the Anger Squad, and quite possibly the first vegan person I ever personally knew. It's been cool to get to know someone with a different lifestyle than myself and be exposed to new things. It's nice because now I find myself more aware of what vegan options are on offer at any given restaurant, which comes in handy when I write reviews. Huh? Yes, I'm one of those people that writes reviews on Yelp and TripAdvisor. Listen, I like to be helpful and hype up small businesses, okay? I swear I'm not a Karen. Only sometimes. What? I know there are a lot of charged feelings on both sides of this debate, so before you get your hackles up one way or the other, grab your headphones, your favorite snack, a wet beverage, and settle in, because the show starts now. Okay, so we have established that I am not vegan, but I am indigenous. I identify as an indigenous person, and I'm also Native American. Sometimes folks conflate the two. While they can go together, I don't think that Native American voices should be centered or presented as the only indigenous voices in the West. If you get nothing else out of today's show, remember, indigenous is not synonymous with Native American. Indigenous people come from all over the world. Asia is home to over 600 tribal peoples, many of which reside on the Indian subcontinent. Eurasia is home to the Sami, various Siberian tribes like the Evnik, and the Inuit. Sorry if I slaughter any of these names. I've only seen them written. I've never heard some of them pronounced. I blame the American education system, but I digress. Africa is home to over 3,000 indigenous tribes with over 2,000 different languages and dialects. So when we talk about indigenous ways of life, it is imperative that we include the voices of indigenous people from all over the world. 
Honestly, when it comes right down to it, I don't really care what other people eat. When I travel, obviously I find it interesting, I want to try the local food, but we have to remember folks, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism. And I think that the food one chooses to put into their body is an extremely intimate thing. It is none of my business. I tried to resist politicizing food in my life while also recognizing at the same time that food and access to it is very political. It's complicated. It was capitalism all along. I believe that the fight for vegetarianism and veganism is an honorable one and that overall eating fewer animal products would be beneficial for everyone. But what I find so frustrating with many animal free platforms is this bizarre prioritization of animal welfare over that of the humans who produce the food. Touting meat free meals and products as cruelty free often wrongly limits the cruelty of food production to the animals who are processed. So often these conversations center the rights of animals to the point where they ignore the inhumane working conditions of poor, often undocumented laborers who provide the majority of our produce in the United States. Rarely with rights and unions to protect and fight for them, migrant farm workers are regularly subject to sexual, verbal, and other forms of abuse by employers who already exploit their underpaid labor. In no attempt to minimize the truly horrifying environmental concerns related to our food consumption, it is so important to remember that in the meantime, real life people are being harmed by the systems that produce our food too. However, <laughs> we are not going to debate the ethics of veganism or any other dietary choices for that matter today. Mm. For more information on that topic, I suggest checking out the Food Empowerment Project, or FEP. Their goal is to raise awareness about how our food choices can change the world. By making informed, ethical food choices, we can make a difference and take a stand against abuses. FEP encourages people to use their individual choices to eat with their ethics and use their collective voices to help bring about positive change. They help us look at food justice from a broader perspective and emphasize ways to look inwards at issues within our own country, as there is a huge injustice taking place in how food is produced here in the United States. The food decisions that we make here impact communities abroad. The deforestation required to produce meat that the U.S. then imports, as well as domestic factory farming, contribute to the destruction of local and global ecosystems. Part of the problem here is that indigenous food sovereignty is already disrupted. Veganism didn't do that. Colonizers and ranchers did. The same ranchers who now supply animal products on that same stolen land. <laughs> The World Bank has identified animal agriculture as the key driver of deforestation in the Amazon. Currently, about 15% of the beef we import in the United States is from Brazil, where the Amazon rainforest is, which Brazilian fascist president Jair Bolsonaro has been allowing to be burned so as to turn it into grazing land for cattle. It isn't just the land at risk either. Indigenous people in Brazil are literally being hunted by cattle farmers. But I digress. With a goal of lessening the suffering of non-human animals while encouraging people to go vegan and therefore eat more produce, it's important that we also advocate for the rights of those who pick our food. FEP works to advance the rights of farm workers by supporting corporate, legislative, and regulatory changes. Visit their website, foodispower.org, to learn more. What I want to focus on today is a very specific viral video making the rounds on social media. Never in my life did I think we'd be making an episode dedicated to veganism, but then 
TikToker Wild Quetzalcoatl went viral with his video in which he alleges that eating plants instead of animals is a form of colonialism. Say what? <laughs> he also says that veganism is disconnected from nature. What? Yeah, still trying to wrap my head around that one. This isn't normally something that would even be on my radar as it reeks of clickbait to me, but folks would not stop sending me this video. Oh my freaking God. <laughs> Anger Squad, please. Do your part to stop the spread of fake news. When you see videos with polarizing hot takes, think twice about them. Who stands to gain from your share? And is that person even from the communities affected by the rhetoric they're exposing? Hmm. Having said that, I felt like I had to address this video because it was just too egregious and too many of y'all sent it to me. I know, I know, but I couldn't let it go. So let's dive in. My first problem with it is, number one, drum roll please, that guy is not even native. <laughs> that guy is not even native. As soon as I saw the video, I was like, nah fam, no. We got a pretendian on our hands. There was just something about it. Maybe it was the flute music in the background or the fact that he was shirtless. <laughs> with a bone necklace and red handband that was holding his long flowing brown hair back away from his face. It all gave off the vibe of someone playing dress up. To be thorough, I took a look at another one of his Q&A videos in which a user asked if he was Hawaiian and in that video he revealed that his lineage is quote from Mexico. But it's not clear if his family is mostly from Spanish colonizers or from indigenous Americans. The fact that he's refused to clarify is a huge red flag to me that he might be appropriating indigenous culture and identity. Direct requests for him to identify his tribal connections have thus far been ignored. Ooh. In that same Q&A video, he also clearly states that he was not raised in a specific indigenous culture or lineage. He is a quote, cultural orphan. <laughs> His words, not mine. Which, whew, man, okay. <laughs> I feel it for you. Truly, I do. But then Homeboy turns around and makes these clickbaity videos with hot takes that are based in nonsense, and I start to lose a little bit of my empathy. Someone can get your mans, he's lost in the sauce. So like right there from the jump, that's a no for me, dog. I literally can't get behind anything else this dude says because it's just tainted for me. Like, bro. No. Indigenous culture is not a costume, full stop. <laughs> not that there was really much for me to get behind in the video to begin with, but still. My second issue with the video is that this argument erases black, indigenous, and other people of color from the vegan narrative. Veganism is not the exclusive realm of white hipsters with dreadlocks. White supremacy really don't want to give people of color or indigenous communities credit for any damn thing. Like they ain't done been living a vegan lifestyle for generations now. For real, for real. Stock photo sites offer a strange crystal ball into society that can reveal uncomfortable truths about mainstream narratives if we stop to think about them. When I searched for vegan to make posts to promo this very episode, my search results were overwhelmingly white. The growing trend of white veganism perpetuates the idea that veganism goes hand in hand with health and wealth, which erases black, indigenous, and people of color from the conversation. Despite the fact that veganism is historically and culturally rooted in black indigenous and people of color communities finally the argument that veganism is colonialism misses the big picture 
One of the most significant challenges to food sovereignty everywhere is climate change, and animal agriculture is one of the key contributors to that, too. <coughs> Notice I say animal agriculture. I'm not talking about my Inuit cousins hunting seal and moose. I'm talking about factory farms with hundreds of animals in one small, confined, inhumane space. Even the most conservative estimate from the World Resources Institute holds that animal agriculture is responsible for 14% of all human-caused greenhouse emissions, with the United Nations Food and Agricultural Organization estimating it as high as 18%. <gasps> According to even the lowest of these estimates, this means that animal agriculture accounts for more greenhouse emissions than the combined total of every car, truck, train, airplane, and ship on the planet. Wow! We all know that climate change disproportionately impacts remote and indigenous populations, and we also know the key industries causing it. It isn't vegans. When it comes to food dependence, we must talk about indigenous land being stolen to grow animal feed or to use as grazing land. The fact that one-third of the planet's arable land surface is devoted to animal agriculture. That fisheries are emptying the oceans, resulting in indigenous peoples not being able to subsist on the fish they have caught for thousands of years. The ranchers who are brutally murdering indigenous leaders. But I feel like folks ain't ready for that conversation yet. What really connects Black, Native American, and other indigenous communities globally, more than anything, is this fight for food sovereignty. Huh? Food sovereignty is the right to have healthy and culturally appropriate food produced through ecologically sound and sustainable methods, and the right to define one's own food and agricultural systems. In the United States, the Navajo Nation has long been at the forefront of the food sovereignty movement, along with several other First Nations and Native American tribes. In the Pacific Northwest, for communities like the Squamish, food sovereignty looks like fighting for rights to salmon fishing. For the Inuit in Canada and the Arctic Circle, food sovereignty looks like fighting for the rights to continue seal hunting. For the Mohawk, food sovereignty includes seed keeping. Each community has its own unique approach to food sovereignty, but what connects them is a focus on controlling the production of their food and ensuring the survival of traditional Native American food systems. Which brings us to our Anishinaabe Mauan word of the episode. Our Anishinaabe Mauan word of the episode is we sinida, we sinida, we sinida. That means, let's eat! Definitely something you're going to want to be able to say if you want any fry bread when you go to your next powwow. It's also going to come in handy for our spotlight. This episode, I'm showcasing a selection of indigenous cookbooks. My first recommendation is written and compiled by the Great Lakes Indian Fish and Wildlife Commission. All the recipes feature traditional Anishinaabe foods which support a healthy lifestyle. The title of the book is Mino Wisinidad, Let's Eat Good. Traditional Foods for Healthy Living, and was the result of a three-year project that included numerous interviews with Anishinaabe tribal members and elders. The next cookbook on our list is The Forgotten Traditional Foods of Fisher River by the University of Winnipeg and the Fisher River Cree Nation. This may be one of the few indigenous cookbooks that features both English and indigenous languages side by side. Winner of the Gourmand 2020 Spring Harvest Award, this book is a collaboration between the University of Winnipeg Indigenous Studies Department and the Fisher River Cree Nation. It shares recipes, 
teachings and stories of traditional foods and its importance in improving the health and well-being of the community. This cookbook is available for purchase by contacting Crystal Moore at CG period more m-o-o-r-e at uwinnipeg.ca funds from the book are contributed to support student activities in the indigenous studies department and the revitalization of indigenous foods to shake things up and show off the diversity of indigenous diets in the united states we have the pueblo food experience cookbook whole food of our ancestors by roxanne swensel and patricia m peria this cookbook focuses on the pueblo people of new mexico and their traditional food systems. It focuses on pre-colonial ingredients and emphasizes the use of chemical-free, natural, and organic products. Its goal is to promote healing and balance by returning to the traditional foodways of the Pueblo people. Mm. My final recommendation for this week's spotlight is Feeding Seven Generations, a Salish cookbook by Elise Crone and Valerie Sigrist. This book focuses on 15 of the most beloved traditional Salish recipes. The Salish people are from the lands currently known as the Pacific Northwest of the United States and Southwest Canada. Feeding Seven Generations also includes information on traditions and stories about the foods of the Salish Sea region, including seasonality and harvest tips. The recipes highlight nutrition and wellness information, making it a great resource for beginners and seasoned chefs. I'll be adding more indigenous cookbook recommendations to our blog and on our Instagram page and would love to hear your feedback on your favorite ways to decolonize your diet. Before we get to my final thoughts, I'd like to remind everyone to follow us on social media at A-N-G-R podcast, all one word. That's our handle on both Twitter and Instagram. I'm going to be posting up my indigenous book reviews soon. Keep your eyes peeled for that. T-L-D-R. We've come to the too long, didn't read portion of the program. For the litany of reasons I just detailed in this podcast, I, Sophia Syntax, personally do not believe that veganism is colonialism. I believe going after mega corporations that pollute and pillage our planet will be far more impactful than any one person's individual food choices. There are many threats to indigenous sovereignty. Let's focus our energy where it matters most and can actually be impactful. That probably doesn't include going after white vegans with dreadlocks in the comments section of a hot take TikTok video. So what does food sovereignty look like then? Well, the simple answer is there is no one size fits all model. For folks who are not indigenous to the lands occupied in North America, this could look like reducing meat intake, improving access to health and culturally appropriate food and food deserts via community gardens or urban farms, as well as supporting Native Americans in their fight for food sovereignty. I want to take a moment to say chi miigwech to all our patrons with a special shout out to our newest patron, Lauren. Hello, Annie Bojo, and welcome. Thank you so much for supporting this show. I love you. Wait, um, was that too soon? I've been busy researching for the first ever Patreon-exclusive bonus episode about the Nain Rouge Parade in Detroit, Michigan, and I am getting really excited for it. I hope you all enjoy listening to it as much as I have enjoyed making it. You too can get awesome bonus episodes and support continued accessibility of the show by going to patreon.com, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Sophia Syntax, S-O-F-I-A-S-Y-N-T-A-X-X, 
all one word, and joining at whatever level you can. You can also feel free to not join our Patreon. That's totally cool too. You're part of the Anger Squad just by being here and listening to even a fraction of the show and that is freaking awesome. There's tons of podcasts out there so it means a lot to my little demon heart that you're here listening to me. Aww. If you know someone who would enjoy our show, please be sure to share it with them. Stay hydrated and make sure you get some fiber. Miigwech, minwa, mi'iwi. Thank you and that's all.